Continuing on in the series today about five habits of a healthy church, what does it look like? Last week we talked about worship and the foundation of all Christian life is worship. It's what we do in our connection and commitment to God. That's the foundation of all that we do. Today I want to go into what I believe is the, the outflow, the first outflow of the relationship with God and it is our relationship with one another in the body of Christ. It is absolutely essential that churches have unity if they want to accomplish the will of God. It's also important that we have diversity. Our diversity makes us more effective. Let me explain it this way. What if you got for Christmas a toolbox from Somebody in your family, they said, here's the gift I want to give you. And it was filled with screwdrivers. That was it. You'd be a real good screwdriver asset at that moment in time. But how many of you know that maybe one wrench in there might help? If you can only get one, get an adjustable one so it can have several applications. You see, the more we diversify, the more effective we become. So I'm praying, and I thank God for the diversity of our church already. I want more. God, bring in more people. Bring in different people. Help us to have a a lot of different things going on in our church. Can somebody say amen? But diversity also needs to connect with unity because unity gives us our power. Diversity causes us to be effective Unity gives us power. And how incredible it is when in our diversity, where we're different, we're young, old, maybe wealthy, not so wealthy, maybe different skin colors, uh, male, female, whatever other things we want to go through and look at, all those things are there. We're all different, but yet we are one because the thing that unites us is greater than any of the things that distinguish us from each other. It's our faith in Christ. Here's what I believe with all my heart. First of all, if we are not a church that worships God, we have no business calling ourselves a church. We're a civic organization. We'll never be effective in advancing the kingdom of God if we don't have hearts of worship. And I don't, I'm not talking about just how well do you sing on Sunday. I'm talking about how do you live on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Secondly, though, And that's why I come to this one second. If we are not following the commands of Christ as they relate to each other, our witness to the world is enormously damaged. It is an absolute tragedy that the view some non-church people have of the church is one that we are stuck up and snobbish, and we fight over who gets the best parking spot. And did they sing my favorite song this week? And I wish it was more. Are you with me? So people who aren't part of the church look at that, and they say, I don't need that drama in my life. But when the church is what God created us to be, growing, strengthening one another, 
spurring one another on toward good deeds. Moving, working, encouraging, strengthening, challenging, all the things that need to happen in a positive direction. Then people who are not part of the church say, I wish I had that in my life. Imagine for a moment that it got dark real quick. If I would have played that out, that could have been really nice. Well, now we really got something going on. If you ever wanted to sneak out of church, you could have done it right then. I would have never known, but you missed your chance. (laughs) Imagine a church that laughs instead of getting critical and mad. Imagine a church where everyone there is your greatest cheerleader. And I don't mean that in a casual, condescending way, but I mean people are around saying, good job, you're going to make it. I believe in you. I think you got what it takes. I believe you can get the job done. I believe the hand of God is upon you. I believe God has great things for your life. How many of you want to go to that kind of church? Well, how about being that kind of church? Individually. They're all believing in you, and they're ready to help you make it happen. They're there to back you up when you stumble, and they're thrilled when you do succeed. You know, they say in life in general, and it happens in the church world too, the one thing people will not, will not forgive you for is success. And there are some people, because of their own insecurities, when someone else does well, they just back away and, you know, they they don't celebrate, they don't rejoice, but instead they they get jealous even. God help us. That when someone does well, we celebrate, we are thrilled with them. That's the kind of church that we need to be. Colossians 3.12 talks about the interaction we have with one another through verse 17. If you'll forgive me today, I'm not going to read it. It's in your notes here. I wish I could, but I, I got a lot of material, and I want to get there quickly. Last week, we looked at habit one, which is worship God sincerely. Today, I want to talk about encouraging each other continually. And let me jump down to the verses below in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. In the NIV, this is the older version of it. Probably true in the newer version too, but it's the old version that, that, that's the one I copy out of my Bible program. It says, but encourage one another. What's the next word? Encourage one another occasionally. Encourage one another whenever you feel like it. Encourage one another daily. By the way, this is very much a command of Scripture, not a suggestion. The emphasis of this word is very clear that we are commanded to do this. Some of you right now are saying, well, I don't feel like doing that. Okay, baby. Grow up and learn obedience. Here's the problem that happens a lot in life. Here's what what goofs a lot of things up. There are three things that goof us up. One is insecurity. And I'll talk more about it, not today, later, but later at a different time. I would just give you this word of encouragement. Be secure in who you are in Christ. And don't feel the need to compare yourself with someone else for you to feel validated. You are who you are because that's the way God made you. Be the best you that you can be and succeed in life. 
I hope I can get to it and tell it the right way today, but today's story about this man will help me illustrate that. That's one of the first ones, insecurity. The second one is immaturity, and basically the word for that is just grow up. It's amazing how often immaturity creeps in even to the church, and you see that when people will say, well, you know, I, I didn't get my way. You know, it's, it's like a little four-year-old going, I want to eat ice cream for dinner. And you say, you can't have ice cream for dinner. Oh, I want ice cream. And, and then we have to, you know, as adults, we have to work with that child and help them get through that moment. It's sad when that happens in church. My dad used to say this, so I'm going to get the heat off me and put it back on him. He's been gone for 24 years now, so uh, if you want to get mad at him, he's up in heaven, so just, you know, tell God to drop him a message or whatever. My dad used to say, I don't mind feeding bottles to a baby, but it's kind of difficult when you have to part their mustache to get the bottle in. You probably wish you would have known my dad now, huh? <laughs> Grow up. Don't be immature. And the last one is irresponsibility. Well, it's not my, I didn't do it. Oh, yeah. oh, don't blame me. You know what responsible people do? They see things that need to be done, and they don't worry about whose job it was or who dropped the ball or why it didn't happen. They just fix the problem. In the body of Christ, to have unity, to have fellowship, to have encouragement, we need to be mature, we need to be secure, and we need to be responsible. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. I wish I had time to go into, and I'll do it sometime in the future. I, I'm going to have to hang around and preach for a while because i got too many sermons I haven't got, got to handle yet. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Prior to that, it talks about the coming of the Lord. That's what the whole thing is about. Actually, back into chapter 4, we all know that part. The end of chapter 4, we always read at funerals. And it's, you know, the Lord, will, with the sound of the trumpet, the Lord will call us up. The dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will join them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. There's another one another. Comfort one another. And... Then you go down through the rest of chapter 5, and it talks about the Lord's coming, and it says, because he's coming, comfort and encourage one another. It's important that we recognize the value of this. Hebrews 10, 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. By the way, this was written like almost 2,000 years ago. Over. Let us not give up meeting together as some are, or right at, as some are the meeting in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Brother Pavano used to have a statement that I absolutely love, because it's kind of so obvious and whatever, it kind of catches you off guard, but he would say this, he, we are closer to the coming of the Lord today than we've ever been. Well, of course we are. There's no other option. We're moving that direction. He is coming, and we need to be ready, and we need to encourage others to be ready. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. By the way, that's a command. You don't have the option. Grow to maturity. I just mentioned that one. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Harmony is, is diversity. Harmony is not everybody being alike. Harmony is different but blended to make everything enhanced. 
Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. The Bible talks a lot about the significance of importance uh, on the importance of relationship between believers. There are about 51 other commands in the New Testament. The reason it's hard for me to put a, an exact number on that because it depends on how you want to categorize and look at and different words that are there. So there's somewhere between 47 and 59. And I've got some, some different things that I, I looked at. That, that here, This one has the 59, one another commands of the New Testament. One that I really like, and I think I gave you the website to go check it out yourself. It's called All the One Another Commands in the New Testament. A third of the commands of the New Testament speak about getting along with one another, the importance of unity, the importance of working together. And you'll read things like this, be at peace with one another, don't grumble against each other, be of the same mind, accept one another, wait for one another, uh, don't consume one another, don't challenge or envy one another, gently and patiently tolerate one another, I'd probably add in the word there joyfully too. Sometimes our toleration is not very tolerant. So a third of them talk about unity. A third of them talk about love. This is kind of cool. In the book of John, six times Jesus says love one another. And then you get back to the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd John. I don't think it's in 3rd, but I think it's in 1st and 2nd John. Jesus said it six times that John recorded John said it six times in First and Second John. He wants to be so much like Jesus that whatever Jesus said, he's going to say the same thing. I think that is totally cool. Another, uh, another 15% talk about our attitude being one of humility and deference among other believers, deferring to them, preferring them above ourselves, honoring them above ourselves. This is the attitude we have that creates a spirit of fellowship. The rest address various issues of interacting with one another. And you've got the, the, uh, the website in there for you to look at later on. You can see it. One of the greatest human examples of an encourager. By the way, the greatest encourager is God. He encourages those who are discouraged. He helps us in our time of difficulty and lifts us up. Aren't you glad that God doesn't look at us in our moment of difficulty and goes, ah, what the use? You're just a loser. He helps us. I read a story Zig Ziglar put out. I can't remember the man's name right now, but he was one of the, uh, uh, one of the key leaders in the Mensa group the, for geniuses, people with high IQs and whatever. And he was born back around 1900-ish or so, uh, it seemed like maybe 1910, because I think he died in right at 2000. He was about 90 years old. 1910, 1912, something like that, he was born. And uh, he was from a family that immigrated to the U.S. And somewhere along junior high, high school, one of his teachers said to him, so this has been back in the, in the 1920s probably, said to him, you have no sense. You are, you're a dummy, and you should just forget school and forget everything else going on. It's the way Zig Ziglar tells the story and just forget about it. And so he, he, you know, when people tell you stuff like that, sometimes it has a huge impact. So this guy just kind of started doing odd jobs here and there around, moving across the country, just kind of drifting really. He wound up a few years later going in the military and just by chance he took 
kind of an IQ assessment test, and he scored 161. Now, if you don't know what IQ numbers are, that's really, really good. And at that point, he realized, hey, maybe I'm not a dummy. And he started growing. He became a major philanthropist. He became a successful person in the lumber industry back in the 40s, 50s, in that era when that was a big, big, big deal. And, um, but he lost probably a decade of his life or more because someone said to him, instead of, I think you can make it, they said, you can't make it, you ought to quit. And he took them up on it. We need to be people who speak words of encouragement. And one of the greatest examples is found in the book of Acts. His name is mentioned 23 times. Um, he was the first missionary along with Paul. His name was Joseph. He was from Cyprus, speaking of lumber, and his friends called him Barnabas. He had a nickname. He, he was called Barnabas. Why was he called Barnabas? Because Barnabas means the son of an encourager. That's what he was known for. That is what he was nicknamed, the one who brings encouragement. There are four ways that we can see four stories in the life of Barnabas. I'm going to hit them real quick, but I want you to get these stories. The first way we see Barnabas being an encourager is when we actually find out they call him Barney, even though his name's Joe. Barney helped meet the needs of others. Acts 4, 36 and 37. For instance, there was Joseph, one of the apostles, nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Barnabas was a steady voice of encouragement, not just verbally, but also with his actions for everybody he met. He's the kind of person that always made people feel like they could accomplish something. He charged their batteries. How many of you know that we all affect people in one way or the other? We need to be people who charge batteries. People who restore hope and confidence. And that's what Barnabas was. And by the way, this was not in an easy season of life for the church. This was a very, very difficult moment. He gave generously supporting the fledgling church in its vulnerable infancy. I talk to missionaries sometimes, and basically when they come here, if they're going to, you know, they're a real deal missionary, we support them like right off the bat. You'll have a check next month. You know, we're picking you up now. But I always hear this from certain missionaries. They say, I have a list of pastors and churches who have told me they're going to support me, but they want to wait until I get like 90% of my support raised, and then they'll come on because they don't want to give me money if I'm not going to make it. I never ask who those people are because I don't think I could handle that knowledge very well. We're going to help you on day one. We've done this sometimes. You may or may not know this, but sometimes we bring in the missionaries that really don't seem like they're the, the most qualified or the best or we're sure they're going to make it. And sometimes people in the, the, across the dish will say, I don't know if this is going to make it or not. And I say, I want them to be here on a Sunday morning. Now, normally we have that kind of person here, so don't try to 
figure it out in the future, they're normally not going to say a whole lot because I'm going to set them up. I'm going to give them their time to shine their little window at us. Then I'm going to come up and ask you to give an offering, and I'm going to do everything I can to help them get money, and I'm going to give them the biggest check they probably get. There are more times than not when we have missionaries come to our church, especially new ones that are starting out, more times than not, they will say this to me, the biggest offering I ever got was at Owasso First Assembly. You guys were number one. And I said, praise God, we're an encouraging church. We're a refreshing church. We're providing hope for those who may be struggling. And in the infancy, when it's easy to say, well, let me see how this plays out before I make an investment. Barnabas said, I'm in. And not just I'm in, I'm all in. Barnabas was a Levite. Let me tell you about Levites. There are three levels of clergy, uh, to use that word, in the Jewish faith. One was the high priest. He was like the big, big dog. He was the man. Then there were priests, and then there were Levites. Levites were the ones who were a subordinate sanctuary official, and they oversaw the minor duties performed in the temple. The, 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 in our vernacular today, they were almost like the, the, the custodians of the building. I mean, not exactly, but pretty much. They kind of did all the necessary stuff. You may not know it, but there are people that work here all the time so that when you walk in, the building looks clean. There are people who are doing all of those kind of things, and we don't think a whole lot about it unless they forget to do their job. You would know if eight of our toilets were stopped up and overflowing but you don't notice when they're all functioning perfectly. That's kind of what Barnabas was. Now, interesting about Barnabas, obviously with that kind of a position, they probably weren't people of an incredible wealth, and we don't know how it happened or how he got it. Matter of fact, Levites typically depended upon the, the, the income of the temple for their livelihood. They didn't really own a whole lot. Um, but somehow, Barnabas, either him, his family, whatever, they had purchased a piece of land, and probably in Cyprus where he was from, and they sold the land. So we're not talking about a guy who has like, you know, 14 houses, and he sells one of them and says, well, I'm going to, you know, donate that to missions or whatever. This is a guy who had probably, from what we can tell, one piece of land. He sold it, and he gave it all. To meet the needs of others. There's an incredible verse. There's a couple of verses before it. It says there were no poor people or needy people among those in the church because they all shared with each other openly. Now the problem is that normally doesn't last long because human nature kind of mucks it up. He sold what he had and he gave it. James 2, 14 through 17 says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that faith, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Second thing about Barnabas, it comes in chapter 9. There was a man 
in the story here, he lived a rugged and somewhat violent life. When he became a Christian, it was almost unbelievable. Walking through the door into a room of church people was a hard experience. Most of them looked at him halfway expecting him to try to hurt them. But then Barnabas approached the man and said, Welcome, Brother Saul, whose name would be changed to Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament. Listen to the text in Acts 9. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. Let me help you picture that out. Go back to fourth grade. School bully, meanest guy that steals everybody's lunch money. And he comes up to you and he says, I want you to come over to my house for dinner Tuesday night. Going to have to pass on that one. He says, no, no, I'm going to, my mom's fixing some really nice stuff and I want you to be my guest at my dinner. And I'm like, okay, don't know what you missed on the first time. That's a hard pass. This is not even getting thought or consideration. Can anybody bear witness with what I'm saying right now? You know, my mom will make me a grilled cheese sandwich. I'm not, because I don't, I, I know who you are. I know what you do. If I come to your house, you're probably going to beat me up, steal whatever I bring with me, and throw me out in the yard. Yeah, I, no, I'm not doing that. That's the attitude the early church had toward Paul, even more so. You know, he was, he was hunting down Christians, and now he's saying, hey, I got saved. And they're all saying, yeah, forget about it. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Paul came to Barnabas. Barnabas had faith in God to transform even a great persecutor of the church. Now, this is all conjecture on my part, but I think I'm pretty close to the truth. The church might have never accepted Paul if it weren't for Barnabas. Think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. How would Christianity have been changed if Barnabas hadn't done that one thing of believing in Paul and connecting him to the church? You'd be able to read your Bible a whole lot quicker. Because the New Testament would simply be the Gospels, Book of Acts, a couple other things in there, not much. Stuff of John, Peter, a little bit of Revelation. We'd have lost a whole lot of the doctrine of the church. Barnabas believed in the power of God to transform. And he believed that Paul was everything he, he desired to be encouragers find value in lifting others to a higher level. It requires being secure. I, I, I really didn't plan on talking about my dad a whole lot today, and this will be the only other thing I'm going to say about him. But I remember when my brother was a district youth director in Tennessee, and I was the district youth director in, in southern Missouri. And for those of you who are an assembly of God, and probably unless you're like, maybe even a preacher, even with a little bit of history to go back, those are considered for, for a young minister. That's kind of like a premium spot. It's, it's, it's a place of honor. 
And one of my dad's friends came up to him and he said, my dad's name was Billy. He said, Billy, he said, you better watch out. He said, your boys, they're, they're doing well. He said, Randall and Bruce, they've really accomplished a lot. They're going to surpass you if you're not careful. You know, when people say stupid stuff like that, there ought to be just something, you know, like a buzzer, like, eh, <laughs> you know, like, quit being a goofball. You know, there ought to be something that happens like that. But my dad, with just the encourager spirit and the humility that encouragers have said, well, they should. They have my head and shoulders to stand on, and I pray that they exceed anything that I ever did. It's a small person who hopes that no one ever succeeds more than they did. It's an insecure person. Can I tell you, and, 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 and I don't want to get all this. I plan on being here for a while as long as you want me to be here. So I don't plan on going anywhere or anything like that anytime soon. Although the clock is ticking, okay? I'm aware of that part too. So there's a balance in here. But I hope that whenever my time comes to go, I hope that right after I leave that the church has the best years of growth and ministry that it's ever had. I would be heartbroken if the church declined. This is probably 10 or 11 years down the road, by the way, so don't get too excited. Don't go buy the gift yet. Take the card back to the store. We don't need it yet. I hope it does better. How tragic it is to invest your life in something to watch it die when you leave. Well, they never had another leader like me. Yeah, you're right there. Not in the way you think, but you're right. Encouragers. They find value in lifting other people up. They rejoice in the success of others. They're not concerned about, did I get my name in the paper? Did I get what I was supposed to get? Here is Barnabas. He's lifting up Paul. By the way, you don't understand this enough. I'm sure Barnabas was a beloved leader of the church. And he's bringing in a guy who's better than him. And he's lifting him up. He's going to take some of Barnabas' spotlight. And Barnabas says, no, you need to meet Paul. He has been changed. God's hand is on him. It's going to be exciting what God does through him. He was excited for his part in the equation. His willingness to support Paul was spiritually validated. Barnabas wasn't gullible, but he also wasn't skeptical. I don't like gullible people. I don't like being gullible. I'm not buying everything that everybody's selling, but I want to have enough sense not to be skeptical when God is doing something. I know, I know, I know this guy made it to heaven. I think he did. I'm sure he did. But I don't want to be a Thomas who says, well, I'll never believe unless I see with my own eyes that I'll have to touch him. And Don't you know that Thomas had to feel like an absolute jerk when Jesus showed up and go, here you go. And Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. 
It's actually this component called faith. Third story. Don't you love Barnabas? Third story. Barnabas was excited to hear about the word of God in Antioch, the work of God in Antioch. I love this. Let me read just a little section here. Acts 11, 19 through 30. It's not in your notes because I couldn't fit it in, but it's in my notes, so I'm going to read it to you. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. Because persecution was still there. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Actually, the Greek people, the Hellenists. The power of the Lord was with them. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard about what was happening, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Well, who else would they pick? Let's send the encourager to help that new church at Antioch with what's going on there. And I, the, the, you got to understand, too, Jerusalem to Antioch is, is hundreds of miles uh, several days journey. I mean, this is not like an easy, simple thing. Like, this isn't me hopping on a plane and flying to San Diego. This is like going to be, you know, lots of travel, lots of difficulty, lots of hardship just to get there. And so he goes to, to Antioch, and when he arrives there, he saw this evidence of God's blessing. Listen to this. He was filled with joy. There's the encourager. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. During that time, some of the prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, and he goes on talking about what happened here. Barnabas was excited to hear about what God was doing. He wanted to go be a part of it. And from there, we see him going into missions work. Paul comes and helps him. He gets Paul to be there. And uh, it's just awesome to see how God works in this situation. The fourth story, really interesting. Acts chapter 15. Barnabas, Barnabas was committed to restoring one who had fallen. Acts chapter 15, verse 36, there's more to the story, and I wish you had time to read more of it, but get, this is the gist of the point I want to make right now. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed, and he wanted to take along John Mark. Eh, eh, got a problem here. Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. And here's what you got to understand. That's the last note that we get of, Mar, uh, of, of Barnabas in the book of Acts. He's mentioned a couple of times in Paul's letters, but without detail. It's just one of those things like, hey, tell Barnabas I said hello, or, you know, Barnabas also salute you, or, or something about Barnabas, but no details. The last story we hear about Barnabas is he's taking John Mark, which was his cousin, and he's going off on a separate mission journey, uh, and Paul's going a different direction. Barnabas wants to take John Mark on another, on another missionary journey. But Paul disagrees because John Mark had deserted them on a previous journey. The disagreement is so strong, they separate. But here's the good thing. Now instead of one missionary team, there's two. Twice the number of people are going to hear the gospel. 
So y'all know this about me, maybe. Maybe not. If you don't, you haven't been around very close. I, I was at a, a, a class yesterday in Edmond, Oklahoma, for people getting credentialed, teaching a class on Pentecostal doctrines. And then on the way back, one of the guys there lives in Collinsville. So there's this barbecue place over here at Wellston that's incredible, which, by the way, it is. If you ever get to Wellston, it's only open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and only from 11 to 3. That tells you how good they are or until they sell out. But he says, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go and, 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 and we're going we're gonna to stop by here and do this. And I walk in and I look at the restaurant and the line is like 40-minute line from where we start to where we get up to the, to the counter. Now, I'm not the barbecue connoisseur. I can eat it. I can't, I mean, I can make it, but not like that level. They were like next level big time. So I can't tell them anything about barbecue, but I can tell them this. If you would have one more person with the cash register right here, you get more people through your store. We haven't had one in a long time. We have a big, big, big church dinner. If you've been around very long, you know this. We will have eight serving lines. Nobody's going to wait more than 15 minutes. It's kind of a thing for me. When Paul and Barnabas have such a strong disagreement that they decide they can't work together anymore, neither one of them quit the ministry. They just go taking ministry in different directions. I love that. I love that. By the way, in this disagreement, sometimes nobody's right or wrong. It's just different opinions. In this one, somebody was wrong. And I'm going to tell you who it was in just a second here. And I'm going to tell you why I can say that without question in my mind. Barnabas wants to take John Mark. They go several ways. Now there's two missionary teams. And here's who's right. Barnabas was right. John Mark needed to be restored. And later on, Paul recognizes that. 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11. Paul writes to Timothy, these are his last, last days. I mean, we're talking within a month probably of his death. He's right there at the door. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of his life. And he's gone to Thessalonica. Uh, Cretans has gone to Galatians. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. But bring Mark with you when you come. I don't know what it does to anybody else, but man, that makes me happy. Paul, who said, no, 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 that guy, he's not going with us. He's a loser. He's a quitter. I don't want him. I understand Paul's position. I understand his thought. But here, as he's nearing death, he says, bring Mark when you come. Listen to this. For he will be helpful to me in my ministry. There are no lost causes. We keep believing. We keep praying. God can restore. We encourage. We, we, we lift people up. By the way, John Mark eventually went on to write the second book of the New Testament. I'm kind of glad Barnabas didn't give up on him too. We might not have had Mark. I'm telling you, without Barnabas, a lot of y'all probably didn't know. And his name's not Barnabas, by the way, right? His name's Joe. His nickname's Barnabas. Without Barnabas, man, the church looks a lot different today. 
But here was a guy who said, you know what, I'm just a Levite. I just kind of clean up at the church. I don't play the keyboard or anything like that. I don't preach. I don't, I don't really teach a class or anything. I just I mop floors. But you know what? I believe in people and I believe in God. And I want to create an atmosphere that allows people to accomplish everything God designed them to do. And because he did that, the church was forever changed. I think I can make a pretty good argument that Barnabas may be one of, he's definitely one of, he might be the most influential person in the New Testament church. Because without him, without him, a lot of the other hinges never happen. Think about a church where we encourage one another, where we cheer for each other, where we believe in each other. When someone slips and falls, we come alongside and help them get back up. When they succeed, we rejoice and we brag and we, we declare the goodness of God. It's my heart's prayer that my life will be a positive influence on many. I want to encourage you today to join me and build a strong fellowship of encouragement. Would you bow your heads with me across the room? I'm going to ask you to do something today, and I'm going to ask you to be very responsive and quick to move with me in this regard. If there's something in your life that, that is a problem you're facing, something in your life that's a need that you have, whether it could be spiritual, financial, it could be, be a relationship issue, it could be whatever it is. Let me say this, first of all, if you're not right with God, today's the, the perfect day to get right with him. If you will put your faith in Jesus, declare him to be the Lord of your life, confess your sins, you will be forgiven and restored and made a child of God now. And if you need to do that, this is the best time in the world to do it. I'm going to ask you today, if you have a need in your life that you need encouragement, you need prayer, you need someone to stand with you. I don't want the prayer team to come yet. We're going to a little bit different today. If you have a need, please, please, please respond. Don't let pride stop you. We've all been there. Many of us are there today. If you have a need, they're going to start singing a song in just a minute. As they do, I want you to stand and come across the front right here. Move toward the front. And we want to be the body of Christ today, encouraging and praying with one another. If there's a need in your life, would you step out right now? Would you come and join me here in the front if there's a need in your life? Whatever it is, from the top area and up there, down here on the main floor, would you come right now as we begin to sing?